It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. This is Eric Ludi. When we construct our new studio, we have been dishing out some throwback series from the earlier days of Daily Thunder. This particular series, entitled The Ingredients of Intimacy, was originally aired back in October of 2019 when Ellerslie hosted a powerful five-week advanced discipleship training here on our campus. The theme of that training was pursuing devotional excellence with Christ. We kicked off that five weeks with this five-part series. I hope you will be blessed by this meditation. All right, why don't we start out with prayer? Father, this is for you. We lift high Jesus Christ. We just ask that the Holy Spirit would lead, guide, and direct, that uh, the living God would be seen and revealed. Lord, we want to understand you better. We want to know how to live for you uh, well. And Lord, we just celebrate the work of the cross, the death, the burial, the resurrection. We celebrate the fact that you are seated in heavenly places at the right hand of majesty, and all things are under your feet. And we celebrate the fact that by faith we have been brought into this amazing work and we too are seated in heavenly places in Christ. Lord, we want to live. <clears throat> we want to pray. We want to act and behave out of that position today. In the name of Jesus, amen. So we're going through a, a series these five days uh, on ingredients of intimacy and you could take these ingredients as ingredients for intimacy with Christ, which is your primary. That's their use. That is the primary use of what I'm sharing. And it's interesting, though, but these same ingredients could be applied uh, to your future marriage. It could be applied to just relationships in general because this is what sponsors closeness and affection. And uh, so the first one was called Time on Monday. These, like, one-word titles. Uh, which I'm not known for, one-word titles. So this is a special treat for all of you. Uh, and then yesterday was study, and then today is remember. And I've struggled. I've almost changed the title of this multiple times because there's so many different angles I could take on this, and you'll understand why, because it's what, what I'm talking about today is a dimension of classically understood as the disciplines of the Christian faith is what I'm going through. But there's different ways that you could express this. For instance, I could have called this Consider. I could have called this, which would be a really cool title, Say Law, which would have been really good, and that would have had this artistic uh, panache to it, too. But I, I wanted to do this because I think this is the most encompassing scripturally. This is a very, very uh, heightened theme throughout scripture, is the command to remember. We are told to remember so many times that I, I was actually at one point in time going to go through and collect a whole bunch of those and just put them down. It was like, okay, there's so many that I, I'm overwhelmed. So I just decided to keep it simple and just let you know what the Bible tells you to remember. Uh, I mean, it's, it is just a deep, deep embedded theme in Scripture. And isn't it just a fascinating statement? Because most of us, we know that we should remember, but we don't realize that it's a command, that we are commanded to be remembering people to be a people that remembers. And it's not a small thing. And so that's why it's important. And when, when we start bringing it into the topic of intimacy, you'll, you'll recognize, you ever seen the, the classic thing where the man forgets the uh, anniversary? 
and uh, what does that do to the wife? Then the wife's upset. Uh, of course, the wife can forget an anniversary too. But it's interesting because that's an offense because it's expected that the man would remember something like that. Why? Because if he's remembering, that means he's cherishing the fact. He's, he holds it as important. And so that which we are called to remember in Scripture isn't everything. It's not like God is saying, remember that calculus equation uh, in college that you learned? Uh, remember it. It, it. There's certain things that, you know, they're nice to remember. It's not like it's bad to remember the calculus equation. However, it's important and it's imperative to remember certain things. And so, of course, we have a an exercise in the body of Christ of remembering uh, that we repeat in some churches it's once a month, some churches it's once a week, some churches it's once a year, but we call it communion. And it's an exercise very purposely of remembering. Now technically we should be remembering what communion is about every day. In fact, you might as well just go to every moment of every day because this is the essence of Christianity, what Christ has done for us. And so as a result, we actually cultivate our intimacy with him. Isn't it funny? It's called communion. Uh, and we exercise our fellowship, our uh, relationship with him in and through that remembrance. All right, so Joshua 4, 4 through 7. I, I'd love to even give fuller context to this, but just for the sake of our message, I'm just going to focus on this little section. Then Joshua called the 12 men whom he had appointed from the children of Israel one man from every tribe, and Joshua said to them, cross over before the ark of the Lord your God into the midst of the Jordan. And each one of you take up a stone on his shoulder, according to the number of the tribes of the children of Israel, that this may be a sign among you when your children ask in time to come, saying, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall answer them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the ark of covenant of the Lord when it crossed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off, and these stones shall be for a memorial to the children of Israel forever. So there's another term. I could have titled this uh, message memorial because that's, again, what it is. You're creating a memorial. What is a memorial? It's something that's going to trigger memory. And so, I mean, think about it. It's memorial, memory stones is what it is. So they're stones of memory. And so when you see those stones and your children say, what are these stones for? Well, why would your children say that? Because first of all, it's unnatural that a pile of stones is just going to form, right? So maybe children would ask that, but also the children of Israel know something, and that is when there are piles of stones, that is memorial. So as a result, whenever you see stones of memory, you're going to say, so what are these? So there's another pile. What are those? Well, let me tell you. This is what happened here. And so as a result, even on the landscape and the geography of Israel is memory stones. They're piles that literally are to trigger your memory. So wherever you go through the landscape of Israel, you're going to see the works of God in ages past. Isn't that an amazing thought? And so as a result, this concept of remembrance is, is very significant. It's deeply embedded in God's people, in God's ways, in God's culture that he created. Psalm 111.4, he has made his wonderful works to be remembered. In other words, he's doing these wonderful works. He's made them to be remembered. So I think it's critical that we Remember his wonderful works, which were uh, made to be remembered. And, of course, 1 Corinthians eleven twenty four. This is in reference to the gospel accounts of the Last Supper uh, when it's saying, do this in remembrance of me. So Jesus is saying, you do take the bread and the, the juice. You do this. You take this in remembrance of me. 
And so as a result, as a form of remembrance, we take this meal. The function of human memory. So I, I used to teach memory quite a bit. And, and when we were first starting, do you remember, Nathan, when we were first starting, what was it, the advance of the practicum? We, when we first started Ellers, I was thinking, I would love to have an entire memory course as part of what we do. And it's just, it, it's a hard balance uh, for me because you're, you're going to notice it even in what we're talking about now and we're going through in the advanced training, uh, devotional excellence. There's certain things that are wonderful tools but can easily become ends in themselves. And like you feel like since you're memorizing scripture, you really are knowing scripture and you're meditating upon scripture and you're owning it. And it's just like I never want to trip people in thinking that just knowing and having it in your head. Satan knows scripture. Like he has it memorized if you want to say it that way. That doesn't mean he's living it. And I am far more desirous to emphasize the life lived and the action of Christianity than just the head knowledge of it. But the two blend. And so there's something about memory that is extremely important. But uh, so there's, I'm going to give you some principles of memory because it's, it's just fascinating too. Uh, and that is memory has to have an established grounding point. I always call it like a honey stick. Okay, so if I had a stick and it had honey on it, then things can stick to it, right? So you could, you know, take a butterfly and go, you could take a leaf and go, and you could stick things to it, right? But it's hard uh, in, in certain levels of education, math is a classic illustration for it. Whereas if you don't know how to count and you don't know basic numbers, then you're gonna have a tough time with addition. Right, because you don't know what two is to add to another two, so you don't even know to make it four because you don't even know what two is, right? But if you begin to count, you begin to see value. And once you begin to establish value, well then addition actually has a sense of reason to it. And uh, subtraction makes sense when you understand addition. And these things build, it's like this construct and it's the honey stick, you stick something and then you can stick something else and so on. And <clears throat> so numbers are the basis of math, obviously, but also science. And so when you get into higher science, like quantum physics, it really helps to know how to count, <laughs> okay? So as a result, you, you are establishing memory at the most basic levels. Literature, you, you could have some high-end essay or, or paper written by some guy with you know, multiple PhDs, and he uses these huge words in it, and he's talking about a subject that none of us has any clue about, right? And it could be, some people would consider a very high work, uh, and a very highly intellectual work. And yet, how would you ever understand that unless you actually knew the ABCs? And so you have to start with A, B, C, but you need to know what an A is. What is an A? Well, A says A or A. Now, it's, it's funny, in other languages, like the Hebrew language, an A, an Aleph, actually does say A, or, and, but it actually has a numerical value, too, of one. And it actually means something, like strength. So it's, it's really fascinating. It's this multidimensional uh, thing known as the Aleph Bet. That's a, the second letter uh, in the Hebrew language is Bet. And so you see where the alphabet came from, which is Greek, actually flows out of that ancient uh, language of, of Hebrew. And then we have the alphabet. Uh, that's what we call it, even though our first letter is not alpha, <laughs> it's A. 
And, but if you don't know A, B, C, D, E, F, G, H, I, J, K, L, M, N, O, P, Q, R, S, T, U, V, W, X, Y, and Z, well, then you're going to have a tough time understanding what words are. And if you don't know what those individual letters say, like what their sound is and how they work together, you're going to have a tough time reading. But once you begin to read, now you need to establish vocabulary. But you can establish vocabulary if you begin to understand word formation and how they sound and what they mean. Then you can begin to knit these together and create sentence structure. And if you know sentence structure, you can create paragraphs. And if you can create paragraphs, you can create the flow of idea and thought. You can actually write and you can pass along ideas this way. So then as that progresses, you, know, you could eventually read that paper. I remember reading Old English and I was practicing on uh, on Old English because I figured I, I would be a smarter guy if I did. And so I used to read all these miserable uh, things. I mean, some of them were really good. They were like old Christian writings, but wow, that's hard. And I tell you what, it, it probably did help me somewhere along the line. But I mean, I would have to read a, a sentence 10 times. I'm like, okay, I don't get that. I don't get that. And to exercise, and so Memory is based on that which you already know. We could call it a previous understanding, okay? So one of the best memory techniques you can use is to use the things that you know wrote, which means you know them so well you don't even have to think about them. Like you don't have to think about the alphabet, I'm hoping, right? You just know it. And you don't have to think about the numbers. You just know them. So when you combine them, they, it actually creates a depth of connectivity. And so I, I created this uh, super memory system uh, back in the day. It was based on alphabet, it was based on numbers, and it was based on location. And so in the, the ancient Greek, they used to have a memory technique called loci, or the loci method. I don't know if you guys have ever heard of loci method. But where you actually would, so a debater or a, a lawyer would, would stand in a court of law and he would give this long uh, statement, you know, which could be half hour long, but he would do it out of memory. How would he do that? Well, he would actually take each of his argument points and he would move them in and through, like, say, his house. And so he would walk in, in his memory, into the first place. And he would, that's why in an argument it says, in the first place. <laughs> <laughs> and then he would go to the second place and the third place, and the fourth place, in his memory, and in those locations, he would organize his thoughts. So when he came in there, in his memory, he would, he would have his thoughts waiting for him, and then we'd go into the next one. And I, I tell you what, it is so profound how that works. Now, what you have to do with that is you have to use something that you already know. In other words, you can't just pick something random, like some house of your, uh, your neighbor's house, which you've never been in, and act like you're in it, because that's not something that's a previous understanding. It's not an established memory. And so as a result, what you see in the kingdom of heaven, I'm just giving you a, a concept here. What you see in the kingdom of heaven is that God wants to establish the ABCs and the one, two, threes of your faith. And he wants to build upon that. But you must constantly rehearse. You must know them just like you know the ABCs and the one, two, threes. You must remember them. So just as you must build out for, for math and higher end science, just as you must for all literature, for all academic learning, you must have the basics. And for us, we, we don't oftentimes train our souls to know and to understand the work of the cross, the work of redemption, how justification and sanctification are functioning in us, how the work of the Holy Spirit, that's why you'll see at Ellerslie, we'll repeat the same things over and over again. 
I am in Christ by faith. And as a result, his death is my death. His burial, my burial. His resurrection, my resurrection. When he ascended, I ascended with him, and I am seated at the right hand of the Most High God. All things are under his feet, therefore all things are under my feet. When I pray to the Father, I pray in that position, in the name of Jesus. You see, we're establishing the most rudimentary, most fundamental aspects of functionality in Christianity. Because I have access to the Father, I have access to the Holy Spirit, or you could say the Holy Spirit has access to me. And therefore, I live a life in this body, in this earth, but it's not my life, it's Christ's life in me that lives, and that's the hope of glory. So as a result, there is a real functional version of Christianity, of Christ being seen in a, in a life, and it's because of what he did on that cross. And someone could say, well, how does that cross affect your life? Well, I just explained it. And so you can go back through that same thing because by faith I entered into his work. And so therefore his death is shared with me and my old man is crucified and I was buried with him. And when he rose again, there was a new creature that was raised again and that's me. I'm a new creature in Christ Jesus. And that new creature is now the house or the dwelling place of the life of God so that now God can be manifest in this earth. These fundamental foundational points are critical for the rest of our memory. So now when you study scripture, what do you see? You see something that attaches to that. It's like, oh, you read through Colossians, like I think the advanced students are memorizing Colossians. Well, you go through Colossians, guess what you're gonna find? You're gonna find the foundations of the gospel are there, and you're gonna learn all these other things. So all the scriptures on being in Christ, whoa. All the scriptures are being empowered by the Holy Spirit, whoa. These things actually make sense. They have context because you know the ABCs and the one, two, threes. And this is all a basis. The basis is functional memory. That's what it is. It's how God created the mind to work. Now, we can take that and focus on memorizing a phone book. You can. Some people have done that. They memorize the phone book. And I would say, well, that's interesting. That's fascinating. It's not useful. I mean, maybe it is like you're... Uh, you have a situation where someone goes, we need to get a plumber, and now, and then you go, okay, well, on page 760. <laughs> in other words, yeah, maybe there's some latent benefit, but Siri is a lot easier than that, okay? And so if you're gonna spend your time, I would spend your time on memorizing things that pertain to the kingdom of heaven, to the establishment of the glory of God in this earth. That's where I would put your energy, and that's why it's hard, because I had this really cool game it was, it was a chess game that, you know, the 64 squares on a chessboard, and so each of those squares represented something. And uh, so I had this, uh, what was it called? Do you remember what my uh, system was called? Uh, oh, where every phonetic sound meant something. It had a numerical value, okay? So like D was one, I believe, and uh, and so what you'd have is if you wanted to memorize something, you would actually create a numerical value or you wanted to remember a number, you put a word to it. And so what we had is that we had a combination, it's a super memory system of loci, which was location, mixed with uh, this phonetic system, which was based on numbers and the alphabet. And so then when s each one of these squares, you had to, so it was like a whole, it was two teams. And you couldn't talk amongst your team but every time someone moved something, they would leave something in the square. So say it's square one, 
okay? That means you have to be watching and you have to, the first thing that is left has to be with something like a thing. The next one might be a sound. The next one was like an emotion, okay? And so you're leaving these obscure things in there. And so you, are those 64 squares are like your house, okay? So you're like creating a location in your mind. So you're like, you're in the first room. And okay, they just left you know, a rag doll. You're like, okay. And you're gonna set it on your bookshelf. And you're going to do something in your memory to remember that there's a rag doll there, right? So now, when you move into that square, you need to say everything that's in, the, so if you're doing a chess move and you wanna take that, you have to say everything that's in that, that room to be able to move there, and you leave something in the, in the square you just left. <laughs> so it's two teams, and everyone's switching off who's playing, right? So you're playing chess, yes, but you're not really playing chess. <laughs> you're trying to survive. <laughs> and I tell you what, it is shocking how well the memory is designed to work if you can organize it. It's just like, you know, if you have a messy desk as opposed to just taking it all and creating files for it and putting them in there, you can easily find things. Same thing is true with the mind when you can allocate and put things into their, their sectors, the place where you know that they should be. Human memory is a fascinating one. Now, I'm taking this out of context, I have to admit, but it is really fun. You know, for all of you that are panicking about your memory, look at this, the memory of the righteous is blessed. Now, what that's talking about is the memory, in other words, the remembrance of your life uh, will be blessed, but uh, you have to admit, it's fun to take things out of context for something like that when you're really struggling with your memory. Uh, <laughs> okay, different facets of remembering. Meditation is, is one facet. So it's called biblical meditation because there's like transcendental meditation, this new agey junk out there. But biblical meditation is a very active engagement in the mind. It's not a brainlessness like transcendental meditation would be. But it's a very, very profound process that Christians have gone through for years to turn truth over in their mind, to look at it, almost like it's a diamond in its different facets. Thoughtfulness is another great way of, of describing it. Usually thoughtfulness is going to be an enunciation of like a relationship, a marriage relationship. In other words, like I'm going to be thoughtful of my spouse, so therefore I'm gonna stop and get some flowers on the way home, and maybe a card. And then maybe I'll, in, in the car, I'll write a, a sweet note or a poem. Uh, roses are red, violets are blue, you know, type of stuff, right? And then I'll bring it home, and what will my wife feel? She will feel remembered, okay? So that's called thoughtfulness. In other words, you are giving thought to someone when they're not around you, and that makes them feel cherished when you then prove that you were thinking about them. Memorializing is what you see them doing with the stones. They're creating memory stones or something that would be, maybe it's not a stone, maybe it's a picture, maybe it's a drawing, maybe it's a journal entry. But there's a memorializing of something so that it's not forgotten. We all have this notion that we will never forget things. Some big, huge thing happens in our life where like, I will never forget that. Or we'll say to someone, I will never forget you. I'll think about you every day of my life. What, two days later you've already forgotten? <laughs> I mean, it's pathetic is what it is. In other words, though we are prone to remember if we work on it, I mean, we're built to remember if we practice, we are also prone to forget if we don't. We are, I mean, we're, we're going to go in one extreme or the other. We're either going to remember or we're going to forget. There's not a lot of middle ground there. And then consideration is a sort of weak sounding word, but it's actually a really good one if you understand what the word means, to consider. Because at first, it just, it just sounds smallish. Uh, 
And it's like when you're trying to describe happiness and you use the word glad. I'm glad. Well, glad in the English language has lost its value. It used to mean like supercharged joy. Now it means, yeah, you know, that's okay. I, I'm, I'm glad that, that that worked out for you. You know, it's like pathetic is what it is. And consideration is sort of the same thing. Uh, you know, would you consider uh, doing this? It's like, yes, I'll consider it. And that it, consider doesn't mean, there's nothing given to it. There's no investment in considering. It's just like, yeah, yeah, sort of a mental flip. When in actuality, it, actu- it, it has a lot of great depth to it. So it comes from the word consideratio. Don't you like that? that? I just had to put that up on the screen because I thought that was a cruel, cruel word. Considerato, with consideration. So what does it mean? A beholding, a looking at. Also, a keeping in mind. Isn't that a great statement? Keep it in mind. And what do, you, what do you do when you're keeping something in mind? Well, you're doing what you're supposed to. That's what God commands us to do, to keep it in mind. To consideratio. So from uh, also contemplation or reflection from the old French consideration, uh, 12th century modern French consideration. See, I, I'm, I don't speak French, but I've fooled some of you. Uh, and directly from Latin, consider, consideratianim. I don't know if I convinced all of you that I speak good Latin, though. <laughs> the nominative consideratio, there we go. Uh, consideration, contemplation, reflection. It's a noun of action from past participle stem of considerar. 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 To look at closely or observe. So that's the etymology of the word consider. I always like etymologies. I always look them up. So etymonline.com. We should do the etymology of etym online. Uh, so Deuteronomy 11:18. We read this one. It was a few days ago. It says, "You shall lay up these words of mine in your heart and in your soul, and bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes." So there is an active engagement in the Hebrew culture of remembrance whether it's piles of stones or whether it's things like this, even the garb of the, the priest was marked in such a way where they would remember. It's like over their heart were the 12 tribes on their shoulders. It's like whenever they move their arm, there it is. When, you know, in every, every time they get dressed, they're seeing something. Everything is purposeful. In our life, let's just be honest, we don't have a lot of that. In other words, we take it for granted that we'll remember things. Instead of recognizing that God has gone out of his way to say, you will not remember unless you actually go out of your way to remember. So if you know that, what are you gonna do? You're gonna go out of your way to remember. That's why a message like this is important. In other words, we just need to remember to remember. And so to remember to remember, like in It's a Wonderful Life, uh, Uncle Billy has little strings tied around his fingers so he could remember. Hopefully we don't have to do that because we don't wanna be like Uncle Billy, right? But at the same time, whatever it takes, some people I've seen right on their hands, and uh, I mean, they, at least they're trying, right? I'm sure there's better ways. I, I don't know that we want to wear like a helmet with something over our eyes, so we're like, what is that? Thing? Oh, yeah, that's right, I'm supposed to remember. Uh, on the back of their hand, that, it's writing on your hand, that, that matches, bind them as a sign on your hand. I don't know what that would look like, bind them as a sign on your hand, but in other words, every time you do something, there it is, you're remembering. One of the things that uh, my sister and I used to do 
my sister and I uh, lived together up in Michigan for a season, is every time we sat down to pray for a meal, we would remember certain key things. Because a meal is happening, what, three times a day typically, sometimes more if you're like Eric's metabolism. Uh, but what that means is you're constantly rehearsing certain things three times a day, okay? So there's an, there's an idea. When you wake up in the morning, boom, there's an opportunity. When you're brushing your teeth, boom. In other words, if it's an action that you're going to repeat and you then build a habit into it of remembering something. Like say every time you're going to brush your teeth, you're going to pray for, you know, Jim Bob. Well, then do. And then you get into the habit of it. At first, you might need to have a, a little sticky on the mirror that says, don't forget to pray for Jim Bob. And, and yet, uh, I, I just uh, had uh, lunch with Jim Bob Duggar, so I think that's, that must be why it's in my uh, mind right now. But you do. You actually remember and you pray. But there also could be remembrances of other sorts. In other words, you could remember the work of the cross every time you, you know, get your bowl of cereal in the morning. But it's an active engagement. I want you to purposely look at it. So here's some of the ways that I have, uh, actually I would say this is the primary way that I have exercised remembrance, and that is journaling. I would highly recommend it. Uh, I would say it's one of the most significant things in my life. First of all, I probably am a writer because I am a journaler. In other words, I spent years writing down, learning to coordinate my thoughts, my inner walk with God, into journal. And as a result, it created a coordination, which is not a normal coordination to take your thoughts and your feelings and to then apply them through a pen. That's the way I started. I was always writing it. Now I type. But uh, one of the things that Moses speaks to God, I'm sorry, God speaks to Moses. <laughs> Moses did speak to God, so that wasn't an incorrect statement as much as it just wasn't purposeful. But God speaks to Moses and then says to Moses, write this down for a memorial in a book. And so as a result, what we have is the scriptures, in a sense, you could call them a journal. They're, they're enunciating that which God was speaking. Now, for us, it isn't the word of God that we're writing down, but it is an enunciation that we are processing, and it's very, very important because I have remembered my entire walk with Christ because I have a journal, and I will review my journal uh, periodically, and it's a very, very powerful thing. Even though I'm, I mean, literally, it would be pages and pages, thousands of pages uh, that I would have uh, through my walk with Christ. So it's not the easiest thing just to quickly reference. So I'm gonna give you a, I just opened up an old journal, and this was the first one. Uh, in an old journal. So in my, when I switched to digital, obviously it was April 23rd, 2001, and I switched to, to uh, and what you see is that little graphic is actually the same graphic I've used for years. Uh, now it's usually on white background, so it wouldn't stand out like that. And it's, it looks bitmapped when it's big like that. When, when it's small, it looks perfectly fine, but it doesn't look very good here. So I'm just going to, I'm just giving you a peek into my journal, okay? This is almost like random peek into Eric's journal. I did read through it to make sure there wasn't anything. I mean, it, it is personal, okay? And, but it's so long ago that I feel fine. Because, <laughs> I mean, we're talking 18 years ago, uh, 18 and a half years ago. Uh, and uh, so I would always do the same thing. This is actually what it looks like on my piece of paper, except for my piece of paper is going to have a little more width to it. Uh, and so an inf I always title it. And I, I title everything I do, guys. Uh, and I, whether or not that's helpful... It is for me. I mean, I remember journal entries even by title. And so I'll go back and say, oh, I remember that one. 
just because I actually will process what is the summation of this for myself, for my memory. So that pile of stones is not on every journal entry. When I see a pile of stones, that causes me to stop and say, I'm telling myself years into the future, this is important and I need to reflect back on it. And so, Dad, Father, Papa, what is that pile of stones for? And then I can read and find out. There are seasons, this is what it says. And so I always would say, you know, the date, the time, uh, the day of the week, and where I'm located, where I'm at. And so there's some funny locations that I'm in, and planes and various things that I'm in. But this is 1703 Whitehall Drive, which is uh, a condominium that Leslie and I lived in 18 years ago. Mm-hmm. There are seasons when seeking, when seek. oh, I see what it's saying. There are seasons when seeking you seems easier than at other times. I have the hunger, but my lifestyle for some reason eliminates, oops, sorry, I'm trying to scroll, but it doesn't scroll. (laughs) But my lifestyle for some reason eliminates the opportunities. I desperately need you, Lord. I need you to intersect my life and assist me in changing it to revolve around you and your kingdom purposes. I want to live victoriously for you. Yesterday morning we spoke in church, introducing our Thursday night gathering to the church. Afterwards, I reflected upon the amazing work you have done in granting us favor in the eyes of Calvary Church. We really do have a church body behind us. There are individuals in that church that wholeheartedly support the work you are doing in and through us. You have also granted us an authority in that church to speak boldly. Yesterday, I spoke strongly about not settling for mediocrity in our Christian walks, but pursuing more depth and more intimacy. Well, that's appropriate. It wasn't unusual for those who know me to hear me say it, but it was unusual for the congregation of Calvary Church. Yesterday afternoon, Rich and Janet came over to our new home and we prayed over every room. It was an unforgettable time. Holy Spirit, you established your preeminence in this house. Our house was officially declared a sacred haven for the work of Jesus Christ in this world. I felt so strongly as we prayed over our creative office that that was an environment that you commanded that we keep holy and sacred and not allow compromise of any kind into. That in that room, music would be written that would change the lives of millions. That in that room, messages would be written that would impact centuries of Christians. As Rich and Janet laid their hands on us yesterday while we stood in our office, Rich prayed just that. I wish I could remember his exact words, but he prayed that we would be heroes of the faith, leaders that stand boldly for truth, messengers that craft messages that bring the glory of God to this earth, impacting not only this current generation, but generations for centuries to come. Enable us, Lord, to live up to that prayer. Please, Spirit of God, grant me grace and strength to overcome my weaknesses and live triumphantly for you. I dearly love you and cherish for you, my precious Savior. Desiderio Domini. And I would always finish with Desiderio Domini which I think I've told you guys if you've gone through banquet, that is something that I would always finish with. Now it's interesting because looking back, I see a weaker Eric, okay? And any of you that would know me would notice a weakness in this. You might not, maybe. But I know the gospel so much better than I did then. And so you'll see me sort of saying, God, uh, I need you to teach me how to live better instead of understanding that God needs to fill me. So this is all part of what God is training me in. Most of what I teach, I had to learn the hard way. I didn't just have someone discipling me through it, so I'm like feeling in the dark. And yet something like that is very precious to me. It's a testimony to my soul of God's faithfulness. He does answer those prayers, even though my prayers, I look at it and go, Eric, you could pray that better. Let me teach you how to pray that better. Let me teach you how to ask that better. I could tell an 18, 18 and a half year, year younger version of Eric, I could teach him a lot with what I've learned in the last 18 and a half years, but that's precious to me. And what's interesting is in that room, Albums were written, book, many books were written in that office right there. In that office, I was on my face and I encountered the Holy Spirit and understanding the 
exchanged life for the first time in my life was in that. So it's going to follow this. So what's going to happen in my life <clears throat> is going to unfold in that room. And most of what I teach here at Ellerslie flows out of what happened in the upcoming months in that room. So isn't that interesting? Just as a reflection. So that's Eric having a memory triggered. So even as I'm talking to you and even as I'm reading that, I'm having thoughts return to me. It's like, yeah, that did happen in that room. Wow, that is amazing. I remember when I'd walk in that room, the sacredness of it, because I remember this prayer time. And I remember thinking, all right, the way I think in this room, the way I live in this room, what I write in this room, I'm in the presence of God. And I want to live as if I'm in the Holy of Holies here. And I want to do my work. If I'm writing, if I'm writing a song, if I'm singing a song, I don't care what it is. I'm in the Holy of Holies. It's a very interesting impact that that had. <clears throat> now, this isn't something I have done, but I'm, I'm giving you sort of a concept of what other people have done. Now, I've done things somewhat similar, okay? We had a thing that we did for a while called Scraps, because uh, Amy Carmichael used to have Scraps, and so we had something called Scraps, where her family would put together, her and her brothers would put together sort of a monthly, uh, it was a newspaper or magazine, I don't remember what they called it. And so we, we used to do that as a family too. When Leslie and I, before Leslie and I uh, had kids, we created, every month we would create a, a summary, like the funniest things of the month. We'd have little things. We went to a concert, we would stick the t stub in there and we would, I would shrink down letters into this little miniature form and actually make them so you could unfold them. So I didn't have, you know, you don't have room for all the cards you get, not, so I would shrink them. And I had all these little things. So it would be a page just of old, of cards that I received, letters that I received, and I'd shrink them down so I could still see them but don't have to keep them, right? And uh, so this is the shadow box strategy of just saying, okay, something just happened that was very significant. I want to remember it. And then you stick it up in your hallway. And so some people have hallways in their house where when they walk down it, everything along both sides is a, a memento, is a, mem is a memorial of something to trigger memory. <clears throat> so bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. The ancient art of biblical meditation. <clears throat> so if we were to go back in time, we don't train in biblical meditation anymore like they used to. This, was, this is something that uh, men and women in, in Christian history past took very, very seriously. It's a, it's a form of art, if you will, just like any other skill, like pottery. Uh, if you are working a, a potter's wheel, you know, I don't just say, hey, go home today and work on a potter's wheel. Here's a chunk of clay, because you wouldn't have a clue what to do with it. It's an art form, and that's the same with the use of the mind and memory in meditation. There was a process where the first thing you do is you have a question, or you have an idea, and so what you do is you bring out everything that you already know on that topic and you just bring it out in your mind. So if you're meditating on scripture, you're, you're not just taking one singular scripture, you're taking an idea like, who is God? And so then you take out everything you know, and you might write it down, like, okay, what do I know about God? He has no beginning, he has no ending. Uh, he is always the same. Okay, so you're going to unpack these things that you already know, and then you're going to uh, immediately test the fact that do you have bias and have you come to conclusions outside of scripture? And are there any things that you're guessing at that you need, and this is an exercise that would have discipline to it. And so then you would ask questions and you would apply questions to it. Are there things about God 
that are revealed in scripture that I do not know or that I have not accepted. And so you go through all of these things. It's like this extra, like a gymnastic routine or a, an obstacle course where it's like, okay, now I'm going along the monkey bars. Now I'm jumping through the tire. Now I'm doing this. And so you're actually doing this. And just as you would physically go through a circuit workout or something, you're doing it mentally and it's working different aspects of your thoughts and of your soul. And it's spiking something. Now what uh, the, the church of yesteryear used to do is they would meditate on the truth and then worship. Why would they do that? Because the idea of meditation is to behold, is to see something. And so when you see him high and lifted up and his train filling the temple, what happens next? Well, you fall down flat on your face. <laughs> you worship. You see, when you see, it stirs, it incites, it elicits something inside of you. And I, I used this illustration the other day. If there was a beautiful sunset out there, and you know the, the Rocky Mountains were purplish, and the sunset was like a roseate hue, and the clouds. Usually you need some clouds in there to get that really cool color scheme with very varied uh, colors of, of reds and purples and yellows. And then uh, you have swans on the lake. And we look out there. One of us looks out there and we see it. You don't need to twist their arm to say something nice about it. Say something nice about that sunset. You don't need to do that. They're going to praise it without arm twisting. There's no, it's like, okay, everyone, let's stand up and let's praise the Lord. There is no need for that. Why? Because everyone is already ready to do it because they are seeing it. And so what we oftentimes do in church is we start out with worship and then we go into the word of God. Now, it doesn't mean we don't finish with worship, but the ancient practice was to lay out the vision, the highness of God, let everyone behold it. And then it's like, well, we know what to do now. Let's worship him. And so, in your own personal life, it really doesn't matter how the flow is structured, if you worship first or not. It's just that what you want to be doing in your own personal life is beholding him. So if you ever have a chance to worship corporately, you're ready. You're ready and you can't wait to sing a song to your Lord. But what happens in our life, like when we speak in here and we lift high the Lord, we want to adore him. We want to cherish him. Well, think about a love life. Okay, if you are thoughtful of your spouse and you're cherishing your spouse and you're just sitting at your desk during the day and you pick up her picture, you look at her. I tell you what, there's nothing quite like a business trip to cause a man to appreciate his wife and his kids. And you'll bring out your phone, you'll scroll through, and then you'll type a quick text thinking of you. You see, when you're, you have distance, it, 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 it amplifies appreciation. The key for us is to not need the distance, but to just labor to remember and not to need some extreme thing like a business trip for two weeks to finally stir us up afresh, but to learn to cherish. The same thing is true with God. There are th situations in life where like, the provision finally comes through. You've been, you've been weak and God just blesses you. The body of Christ surrounds you. You're crying and you're like, God, you're so good. I forgot to tell you how good you were over the past three months while I was going through this trial. You shouldn't have. In other words, you should remember God's goodness even when you're weak because he will be faithful. You know that. You know that God's not gonna forget you. He's not gonna leave you. He's not gonna forsake you. He's right here with you the whole while, so you might as well praise him now. 
And that's how Christianity functions. It's not just when the good thing finally happens. The good thing has already happened. He died for you 2,000 years ago and rose again. It's already past tense. You might as well thank him for it. So the ancient art of biblical meditation, readying the heart to worship, blowing upon the embers of affection, inciting the inner man towards praise. That's what remembrance does. So this key word that we've all seen when we read the Psalms, that uh, the psalmists will, will stick in, and we're just sort of like, okay, whatever that is. Now, many of us know what it means pause and consider. But do you remember what consider means? You see, if you just have pause and consider, it's like, okay, I did. How long did you pause and consider? About one second. I don't know exactly how to pause and consider, but I paused. It's just sort of like a comma. <coughs> or it's like a return you know, into a new paragraph. And so I'm just going to pause and then start the next paragraph. And actually, you could almost look at it as a command. It's like, whoa, 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 pause. Did you, did you consider that? Did you behold it? Did you study it? Did you keep, are you gonna keep it in mind? Are you going to understand that the writer is saying, did you just get that? That was important. Don't miss that. Remember that. Learn that. Behold that. Study that. That's not really how we handle a say law. We just sort of use it as a little break point and then we go on. And yet, for us to recognize that this is exactly the same concept of remember. This is an art of intimacy. Selah. I really like that word, too. It's actually poetic. It'd be a great name. You know, we talk about names for kids. There's certain ones, like hagiazo, uh, which means, like, <laughs> sanctification. That's not that good. But Selah, that's pretty. I like it. Do you guys know any kids named Selah? Yeah, it seems like we've met someone named Selah. Uh, <coughs> it's a pretty name. Acts 20, 35, and we're going to finish with this. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Now, that's talking about uh, it's better to give than to receive, and it's saying, remember the words of the Lord Jesus, but that's, that's just a great phrase. Remember the words of the Lord Jesus. Father, teach us to remember I pray that we would not excuse ourselves because we feel we have a bad memory. But Lord Jesus, even those of us that are stunted a little in the memory department, I pray that we would exercise what little we do have. And Lord Jesus, we would be excellent with the trust we have. If we've only been given one talent of memory and someone else over there has 10, Lord, may we take our one talent and invest it and see it gain a mighty return. Lord, we want to cherish and remember. We want you to build up our understanding. We want to learn to say law, to pause and consider, to be thoughtful, to meditate, to memorialize who you are and what you've done. We love you and we trust you. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.